Fight! Welcome to the Philosophy of Fighting Podcast with your hosts, Arturo and Anu. All right, on this episode of the podcast today, we have Manny Garcia. I met Manny in like 2000, gosh, I don't know, 9, 2010, yeah. something along those lines. We trained for quite a few years together. My favorite training partners. I love that I've reconnected with him recently. Manny's got a good wealth of experience in jiu-jitsu, MMA, Muay Thai has kind of done it all. He's taught at many schools. And so I think he has quite a few stories because he's been in this game, I believe, longer than I have been in this game. Um, maybe just by a little bit, but we've been around a while. So I'm, I'm pretty sure Manny has a good story or two for us. Uh, welcome to the podcast. <laughs> um, thank you guys. Thank you guys for having me on. I, I appreciate it. All right. So we'll, we'll start off with, uh, tell us how long you've been training. I first started training in 2002. Interest in martial arts was um, something that began when I was a kid. Growing up, Jean-Claude Van Damme movies were really big. Hell yeah. Uh, <laughs> but I watched Kickboxer and Bloodsport over and over and over on um, uh, KTLA Channel 5, which was here in San Diego. And I used to watch it all the time. And they used to have another movie called uh, The Last Dragon. They had this uh, black guy named Timac. And... Going back even farther, I think the same around the same time, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles was really big. I remember seeing the Karate Kid when I was little. I I wanted to be those guys, you know. I wanted to be tough and I wanted to be strong and I wanted to be brave. And uh, those movies were <clears throat> were brilliant to me because they were like this lone guy, you know, against the world, and he has to discover himself. And you know, sometimes he gets the girl, and and he has to go through this badass training montage where he becomes uh, like from average guy to the hero. And then he goes off and, you know, he wins the day. And, you know, I grew up in a single parent household. And so a lot of my free time was spent watching movies. And so I thought that was, was amazing. And I remember just watching these things as a kid and thinking that was the coolest thing ever. And until the UFC came along, nobody knew who the toughest guy in the world was. You know, we watched those movies and we thought, you know, maybe it's John Clavett, damn, maybe it's Steven Seagal. And, and growing up, I wanted to take martial arts really bad and I never did. Um, I remember I had the opportunity to, um, my best friend growing up, uh, his name was Matt Graves. Um, he did karate, uh, when I was a kid and I thought it was the coolest shit ever. Like I remember, um, getting to go with him to one of his classes once and like getting to watch it. And then, you know, I was asked if I wanted to, to um, to join it, you know, and I, I said, no, <clears throat> I, I didn't like losing as a kid. I knew taking that class, I was, it was weird because I was, I wasn't like overly street smart as a kid, but I was self-aware enough to know that if I took this class, there was risk involved and risk meant loss. So I always, I always played it safe as a kid. I never liked playing sports a lot because I, I could lose, you know, and I didn't like that feeling. I, I remember playing, I was very competitive and I hated losing. I hated it. So there was just things I didn't try. And I mean, I could regret that now for sure, but it's just, just the way I was as a kid. Did you have a moment, did you have a, a point in your life, an event maybe, that maybe pushed you into, you know, pulled the trigger? When I was in seventh grade, I remember being at lunch, and that was the first time I'd heard of Ken Shamrock and Frank Shamrock. He's, he's like the, the tough street kids that I always sat next to the table next to the tough kids because I was a big kid, so the tough kids always wanted me around in case something popped off for whatever reason. And they were talking about the UFC. And I, I didn't know what it like. I remember seeing the commercials on TV, but I wasn't super hip to it. 
And I, when these kids started talking about it, it, it changed my life. I remember I had to know what this stuff was because these guys were these, these kids, these tough kids were kids that I looked up to and hearing them like gush over these other people. I was like enthralled, you know what I mean? I, I had to know who these guys were. Uh, there was real kind of no internet then. Like we didn't have, I didn't have a computer at home yet. So the only thing that existed was uh, magazines, like Black Belt magazine and um, stuff like that. <clears throat> so I would go to the bookstore <clears throat> and I was an avid reader always as a kid. And so I, I tried to read as many martial arts books as I could because I knew I wanted to take lessons down the road. So I figured I would get as much, but I tried to study martial arts books as much as I could, like what people thought going into it, psychology behind it, just so that when I, I tried to take class or something like that, I didn't like freak out or look dumb. And, and the teacher in me loves that you took the initiative to read books, you know, and get an idea of what you're doing. And like, you know, I think that type of preparation is important because some people are a little intimidated. Like you said, you were to start something, you know, but yeah. So then slow down by like reading it, watching it, like analyzing it, talking to people about it. I think that's amazing. Can I ask you something, Manny? Like right now, can you just describe like who you are as a fighter? Cause I also thought it was interesting. You mentioned your size, right? So like, what would be like the tail of the tape of you? Like how tall are you? How strong are you? Like, where are your skills at? Like who? Uh... Uh, oh, <laughs> um, well, uh, right now, actually I'm not as big as I used to be in high school. Um, I'm 5'11". Um, I'm 175 pounds. My strength is uh, Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. And I have some kickboxing, some boxing. And as a, as a fighter, man, uh, it, it, uh, you know what, it remains to be seen, you know, um, I, I think I've only scratched the surface on, on, I, I do have fights. It's, it's actually hard to formulate an opinion on myself because I, I, I want to know more. That's good. I, I think that's a good, uh, synopsis of you. So when was like the first time you stepped into a martial arts gym, like with a commitment with like, all right, like this is, this is at least the beginning of like my training. What, what, what would you consider that time? That was, uh, I was 19. Okay. I was 19. And, and where so, was that? Uh, at City Boxing in San okay. Diego. Um, and I walked in there and the first guy I ran into was a big guy with broad shoulders and a square head. And his, his name was Dean Lister. What? <clears throat> and um, Dean was the head instructor of jiu-jitsu at the gym. And this was a month before he went to uh, the ADCC for the first time. And for anybody out there that doesn't know what the ADCC is, it's the Olympics of Nogi Jiu-Jitsu. So the best of the best get to go to this tournament. And um, no American had ever won it before. And so Dean was in preparation for that tournament. He was training really hard with uh, Jocko Willink. Jocko Willink, uh, the Navy SEAL, was there all the time also um and dean had a bunch of other big dudes that were coming in there just they were just smashing bodies and getting ready and i remember just i was 19 years old and just watched these guys just at the world level like oh, what is this i didn't i didn't know what it was yet and so dean leaves to go to brazil to do abu dhabi and other instructors are teaching and stuff he wins uh the absolute and he comes back or sorry green to everything i don't know what's going on at the time the who's who of grappling came in to work with him tito ortiz comes in one day I'm like sitting on the mat, like warming up and then Tank Abbott walks in one day and it was just awesome. <laughs> it was just awesome. I'm sorry to pick up, but you got to see the, the pioneers of the sport at like the perfect time. And like, 
the fact that Dean Lister was the first person that you saw and you're meeting the Michael Jordans of the sport that should inspire some listeners to just like take a chance. Like that's the best part I believe of this sport. So do you think, um, cause I found this with myself at least too. And I think Anoop has mentioned this before too, on other episodes we've done. It's an interesting dynamic, especially with like grappling, because if you spend enough time on the mat, you're almost guaranteed to come across with a legend or something, especially in those early days. 100%, 100%. Like, like you don't, you don't get a chance to play basketball and LeBron steps on the court. You know what I mean? But in grappling, you can grapple with the best. Chances are in a few years or so. So that for me was kind of like a draw already. I'm like, oh, I get to swim with these sharks already. I'm like, this is pretty sweet. Mm-hmm. 100%. It's, like one of the, it's just, uh, and you got 100%. to do that with Dean Lister? Yeah, yeah. I remember the first time I got to roll with him, man, it was hilarious. Like, he, he let me just do whatever I wanted, and he just laughed his ass off the whole time. So I, remember I, tried to, I tried to get a full lock on him. I didn't know what I was doing. I think I was, like, maybe the second week I was there. Because they want to test the new people, you know what I mean? They want to mm-hmm. see what you what you can do, if you're tough, if you got hard, if you got any cardio. And, you know, you got to remember, I was I had really bad social anxiety. And so when I was when I was doing this stuff, it was very abnormal to my natural uh, who I was kind of as a person at the time. I remember even the, the tumbling we did in the beginning of class was very difficult for me. It took me maybe like three months to get to get the rolls down. Like I was just so awkward at it and I just didn't have the, the right um, coordination. I remember getting discouraged a shit ton in the beginning because I was like, man, I'm not going to be good at this. Like I'm not flexible. I'm not dexterous. Um, you know, I don't have the right attributes to be really good. But then I had the opportunity to, to move and I wanted to go to Miami. The year after being at City Boxing, I, I moved. I moved uh, to Miami in the beginning of 2003. So I, I leave City Boxing and I don't train for like six months. Mm. Maybe, maybe like close, maybe longer than that. Maybe close to like eight or nine. I gained like 50, 60 pounds. I got really big. I was like two, 240, 250. So I ended up training at a gym that was a warehouse and it was called Miami Fight Club. Uh, the guy that ran the jiu-jitsu program was the Hicks and Gracie Black Belt. His name was George Pereira. My other instructor was this guy named Delman um, Cavallo. Um, okay. I got my blue belt from George. Oh, okay. Um, but Miami Miami was radically different because the, the jiu-jitsu scene was more, more fighting. Like guys street fought a lot mm. um, there. I didn't, I never got into like anything because I was like, ah, oh, man, I'm good. You know what I mean? But, but guys were absolutely down to scrap um and they would still have the, the dojo challenges like you would still yeah have at the time you'd still have guys go to like an academy and like fight each other it happened one time at our school um we had some we had some guys from a boxing academy come in and um i'm stretching on the mat and all of a sudden it, they sign waivers man and they get down dude and and a bunch of our guys you know had one-on-ones with their guys and they all it was fucking nuts bro yeah everything goes um but but miami was just like the wild west man like got me a job as a, a security and a bodyguard we uh got into a few crazy bar brawls <laughs> you know what i mean like but yeah so i left miami about end of 2004 beginning of 2005 took time off of training gained some more weight so i had these gaps in my training for long periods of time because i just was trying to get my life resettled trying to find a job trying to get back into school and in those those periods of time, training just had to take a back seat. It wasn't something I, I had a priority for at the time. I linked up to Jim in Oklahoma called Senegal Fight Club. But I met some really cool guys when I was there. I met a guy named Brandon Guptil, and I met Russ Edwards and guys like Casey Ryan. Those guys are 
um, well-established teachers uh, here in San Diego and, and, you know, guys at Arturo knows. Russ was so big at the time. I remember I used to footlock him all the time and he used to get pissed. <laughs> uh, he remembers that. Yeah, he does, man. He give me, he's like, everybody used to footlock me, bro. And I'm like, yeah, man, now you just beat my ass. So what does it matter? <laughs> um, but yeah, man, that, that was a lot of fun. And um, I, I got really close to a lot of those guys. Very mature at the time still. I remember I used to talk a lot of shit and run my mouth about a lot of dumb stuff. So I remember I used to annoy them sometimes, but I used to do that just because I was kind of scared and I was nervous and I wanted to fit in and I didn't know how to do that. I was there for a little bit and then some of the trainers decided to leave and they wanted to go form another gym. And they, they did, they, they started another gym over by SDSU uh, called Unleashed. So I kind of followed those guys. Um, and that gym was only open for a little while. I was there for about six months. And uh, then it started to close down. So I ended up training at a gym called Throwdown in Point Loma. And this was probably about 2008, I want to say, 2009. And I did go over there because Dean was there. It, Throwdown was an awesome gym. Um, it later actually turned into another gym called Victory MMA. And that's where I met Arturo. Dean was super famous, obviously, by then. So he wasn't there to teach all the time. He had a guy named Elias Gallegos teach some of his classes and stuff. Elias was the head of instruction for the gym um, and someone I got really close to. He was the first guy I saw when I walked into, you know, I always needed somebody to be the point man for me. Somebody I got to look at, but okay, I need to follow that dude and model what I'm going to do after what he's doing. And Elias was that guy for me, man. Not, not just you, a lot of people. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. I agree. Well, I, how do you feel about, you know, Arturo can tell you about, about Elias also. Yeah, I've spoken about Elias before. I consider him like my jujitsu father still to this day. Like it's, it's a bond with him. That's like, he's your war leader. You know what I mean? You'll yeah. follow him. Yeah. It's nice. Yeah. Yep. And so it, it, I'll, I'll go with that. So on the same, on the same thing with Arturo just said, he promoted me to my, yeah, my, we all got my purple, we all got our purple belts together around the same time. So one day Elias calls me out of the blue. And he's like, hey, man, I'm going to go start my own spot over in Eastlake. And I want you to come with me. And I didn't hesitate, didn't think about all the friendships I'd made, all the people I knew at uh, Victory, none of that stuff. I, was, I just said yes. I didn't think about the logistics of, of my situation at the time. Didn't have a car at the time. And it was hard for me to get from where I lived down to Eastlake here in San Diego. Yeah, it was a, it was a much bigger move. Otherwise, I would have followed Elias, too. It yeah. Was, uh... Yeah, I took like one trip to the gym and I was like, oh, shit, this is like a 40 minute drive for me. <laughs> yeah, man. And I, I live like same thing. It's like 45 minutes to get down there. Mm -hmm. So uh, Elias, he let me um, he let me help coach the kids classes, but I just couldn't maintain it. You know, I couldn't keep going down there. So I, I stopped training altogether. But I still wanted to fight. You know, I still wanted to to make this this thing happen. And, and a guy named Manola Hernandez and Manola was the MMA instructor at a gym called the San Diego Combat Academy. And he had a lot of fighters at the time that were just cracking into the UFC at the time. Um, Alex Soto, uh, Wild Watson, um, Liz Carmouche was there. She hadn't, she hadn't been signed to the UFC yet, but she was just about to be. Uh, we had another guy named Mike De La Torre who ended up going to the UFC also. I was fortunate to meet Wild Watson. Um, Wild Watson was somebody that changed my life. He fought in the UFC a couple of times. And I remember, and the kids coach at SDCA quit right around the time that I got there. And with my limited kids coaching experience at the time, I uh, 
you know, asked if, if I could step in and they, they said, sure, you know, and they let me take other classes for, for teaching the kids class. I started fighting for the Combat Academy in about May 2013. How did you win your fight? Like, do you remember who you fought? Yeah, his name was uh, Muhammad Akta. And I remember uh, I was I was 170 and he was 185. They didn't have another 170 guy. So they, I just took the 85er guy. He was a short dude. Um, real, real nice. He was a kid. He was a real nice kid, man. Real thick, big shoulders. He almost knocked me out. I remember he like he hit me really bad and I fell down. Got, I got a flash KO and I woke up and my butt hit the ground. And I He went to, to ground and pound me and I flipped him over. I ended up TKOing him. Really? And I remember he was he was so salty afterward. He came out. He goes, "Now I want a rematch." And I was like, "Why?" <laughs> Bro, we're not even the same weight class, man. I go, "Why don't you lose twenty pounds and we'll fight?" He goes, "Oh, like you got all freaked out." He goes, "Oh, you're not." I go, "No, man. Like you're like way bigger than me, bro." I remember winning that fight, and then I I won a bunch of fights in a row before I lost. And I go to Manolo. I'm, hey, man, like I want to fight somebody hard. You know, not that the people I hadn't fought hard were hard before because I'd fought some hard dudes. But that was me again, fucking being an idiot, you know, shooting my mouth off, talking shit, being immature. <clears throat> they find me this kid. His name's Armando Mendez. He's undefeated. I'm undefeated. Uh, and he beats me. Uh, he beat me by TKO in the second round. I, you know, didn't know how to take it. So I uh, got ready to fight him again. You know, I, I figured I'd get a rematch. A month later, he wins the title belt in my weight class and the promotion. And I'm excited. Man. I'm like, I'm going to get ready. I'm going to get ready. You know, I'm going to go after him, get that belt. Then the promoter comes in and um, the, the poor kid had been in a car accident and he passed away. Oh man. And uh, I had attached a lot of my fighting psyche to that kid, to that gentleman. And when he, when he passed it, it, it like killed my motivation pretty bad. So I, I kind of took a break for a little bit and then things at our gym weren't going very good. I was teaching the kids classes and uh, one of our best instructors, he um, ended up leaving. Liz and another girl named Chris took over the gym or part, part control of the gym. Uh, being business owners of, of their type, they, they cut everybody's pay. The job that I had was, was my dream job. You know, I was teaching kids and, and fighting and we had to have more people in our classes to make money. And around that time that happened, we acquired uh, Rick Martinez from 10th Planet. Um, while Watson was my jiu-jitsu coach, up until that point, and then Richie came. I, Richie and me were, were kind of cool in the beginning, and then there was a huge disconnection between us. There was a point where we needed to make some money, and we were given, I was given some rash guards to sell. I didn't know that uh, we were supposed to keep some of them for internet sales, and I sold all of them. <laughs> and uh, Richie pulled me aside, and he cussed me the fuck out. He cussed me the fuck out in such a way that uh, I, I never liked him after that again. Um, I, I worked with world champions for many years, and like Arturo said, you get the opportunity to work with people that are famous and in your industry. And it's really rad. I'm sure the negative things uh, I have to say about anybody, they're my experience with these people. You know what I mean? They might not be somebody else's experience mm -hmm. and that's fine. But uh, I, I didn't like Richie after that, um, even though I disliked him uh, immensely after our, our incident together. He was the <laughs> head instructor of the, the gym, you know, so. I still had to take classes and stuff. It sucked for me because jujitsu was very much something I used for uh, spiritual enlightenment. And my buddy YL and him had a great relationship. Um, so YL would pull me aside. He goes, hey, man, why are you in Boogie Weird? And I never wanted to tell him, man. I never wanted to tell him about the, the shit that I saw, the shit that I felt. 
So I was just like, fuck it. You know what I mean? I'm not going to win. I'm not famous. I'm not uh, some big jiu-jitsu coach. You know what I mean? So I was just, I'm going to keep Asha. I wanted to keep my job. YL was the other instructor for jiu-jitsu and Boogie was the head. And then that, and then a couple of days before Christmas one year, YL got hit by a car. YL is my best friend in the gym. And um, yeah. he's in the hospital for like a month. He's in rehab for like another month. The whole two months he's gone, I was the only person from the gym that visited him. Nobody else on the staff went to see my boy. That was it for me, man. Like I, I couldn't, it was hard for me to train and follow people that I knew didn't give a fuck about me. Didn't give a fuck about him. He comes back and they gave his job to another guy. So he kind of winds that down and, and he has other opportunities that kind of pop up. So he, he has to take off and does those about myself pretty much. Um, there's some other instructors there that I'm kind of close to. It was very much like every person for themselves at that point. Um, when I first started working there, it was a family. We all took care of each other. We all tried to pump each other's classes up, get people to go to each other's um, shit. But then over time, as Liz got more famous and other people got more famous and the, the gym, I guess, got more serious with the level of fighting shows they got into, it became more like cliquish, everybody for themselves. You know, and I'm not famous, so I'm, I'm not trying to be famous. I'm not, I'm not those guys. So I kind of focused my attention on kids. And um, I had a really good kids program at 10th planet and there's a hundred something schools in 10th planet system and my kids program was the biggest i had 140 kids at its height and we were winning everything i would take 20 30 kids to to nagas to tournaments and we'd win almost everybody golden and around this time that that was happening again remember i'm, I'm still struggling for pay i'm not making a whole lot of money my kids are winning they're they're amazing i had this, this this these dope parents are backing me and everything and, and my boss keeps telling me man we're gonna get you your own spot we're gonna get your own spot we're gonna take all these kids we're gonna put them in your own building you can run it whatever just keep building the program i'm like okay now right so i'm doing it and we're, we're smashing we're winning everything and it, it was a good feeling because when i started coaching kids at tournaments i got laughed at a lot like a lot of people laughed at me as it gets bigger sorry i'm trying not to be upset <clears throat> um so uh as it gets bigger you know I, I needed more money my kids program i have 140 some kids we're making close to twenty thousand dollars a month um just my program alone and i go let me get 20 percent, or i have to get another job and i didn't say like in a menacing way and like fucked up way and he goes He's like, well, I'll tell you what, man. He's like, that might be a possibility. We just have to explore. Wow. You know, I was like, damn near 10 years I've been with you guys. Like, I'm making you guys 20 racks a month. I built this all by myself. No help. No other coaches. We'd go to tournaments every weekend for years by myself, not paid. I had kind of stopped training a lot because I didn't want to be around these people. And I would eat pizzas and I would drink all the time. So here I am gaining weight again, being, being depressed. And then about two weeks later... We're in a meeting. He comes up to me after the meeting. He goes, hey, man, you know, you put in your two weeks, right? I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, you put in your two weeks, man. So he's telling me that I quit the day that I asked him that, that chunk of change. So he fires me pretty much. They wanted me gone so badly. They didn't give a fuck about the kids. They didn't give a fuck about the parents. And this was kind of the dark side of, of the industry. You know, I had um, spent a decade of my life building this program. Why did they want you gone? Money. Money and ego. Because it's not even that much money, right, for the... You brought in $25,000, you wanted 20%, so you wanted like $5,000 a month, which is a $60,000 a year salary. That's, that's a lot to them. I, I went back, I, I, got my, I went back to get the job back because we had a big tournament in Vegas with the kids and we had the hotel paid for and all this other stuff and I don't want to ditch them, you know what I mean? So we go to Vegas, all, I take 20 kids to Vegas, all their parents, we go, every kid wins gold. 
we come back. I, I don't want to do jujitsu no more. I don't want to do fucking fighting no more. I don't want to do anything. What they told the members and they told the parents was that they terminated me because I wouldn't help them clean up a flood. There was like a flood in the bathroom of some sort that happened like a week before or whatever. And they, they lied about me. It was the most craziest shit I'd ever seen. But these people were liars. And they lied to a lot of people to um, get rid of me. I'm a nobody, man. You know what I mean? Like, I know I'm a nobody. And I'll tell you why. I remember one time when uh, my, my team was called the Misfits. And they asked me to change the name to Little Freaks, which was their, uh, their kid's name. And I didn't want to. You know, I wanted to keep my team name the same because was, it was my name. It was my, my thing. And Boogie comes up to me and he's like, we're buddy, buddy. He goes, you know, man, he goes, you're kind of a nobody, bro. He goes, like, who are you? Because you're just a, you're just a kids coach, man. You're just a kind of a out of shape purple belt. Like, you know, you should just name your team, my kid's name, whatever. And I was like, all right, man. <clears throat> and uh, yeah, they, they fired me in uh, December of 2018. That was probably the darkest part of my life. Uh, I didn't know if I wanted to, to continue living, <laughs> to be honest. Um, I had spent so much time building what I built and having it taken from me the way it was. I didn't, I didn't want to be in the industry anymore. What they had done to me as a, as a coach was normal. They had done it to my friend YL. They had done it to another friend of mine before that. Uh, <clears throat> they did it to uh, my buddy Sloan, climber, and a couple other coaches after him. And I, I was not used to it because the martial arts that I was used to was a family system mm-hmm. where you wanted to keep people in a system. And I wanted, I wanted to see these kids grow up. You know, I wanted to see them go to high school and, uh, you know, play other sports. And I wanted to be a part of their lives for, for the years to come. And, um, had that taken away what made you get back into it what got you out of that funk what um yeah what happened i'm, I'm sitting at home the smash me scene comes on and it, it brought back a lot of the reasons why i wanted to do what i'm doing mm-hmm. so I'm, I'm i'm watching the smash machine and um uh i get a phone call and it's uh my friend's mom a long time ago i had this guy his name was gene poppin and he was my best friend and when I moved back from Miami to San Diego, we used to hang out a lot together. He was my next door neighbor. And we used to watch the Ultimate Fighter together when the Ultimate Fighter got big. And we used to have barbecues and stuff. And I would, I would tell him, we would get drunk and I would tell him, hey, man, I want to fight. I want to be in the UFC and I want to teach kids and stuff like that. We would be watching the fights and he, he'd turn to me and be like, bro, that's going to be you one day, man. You're going to do that. He had passed away suddenly of a heart attack mm. like about, about 2010. So out of the blue, I'm watching Smash Machine and his mom calls me. You know, I'm like uh, being emotional and stuff. And she's, she's talking to me and she's asking me what's wrong. And I'm telling her, and I promised my friend I was going to get as far as I could until the wheels fell off, you know, and um, she, she reminded me of that promise. And so I, I got back in the gym, you know, I went to, to choose, <laughs> went to choose fitness and just did everything I could to lose the weight, man. I lost the, I lost a hundred pounds, you know, wow. now uh, stronger than I was when I was actively fighting. I'm, I'm just in better shape. I also wanted to get back into it, man, because I'm, I need to crush these motherfuckers, dude. You know, like, you know, there's not a whole lot of things that I think I'm, I'm like really good at, you know, I'm, I'm very honest with myself, but I can tell you that I'm one of the best coaches in the world when it comes to children. So with all of your time, uh, I mean, you've worked as bodyguard, security, all this different stuff, all of your years in um, seeing altercations, training martial arts. Uh, what tip or strategy would you give to someone who has never fought, but finds themselves in a situation of a fight? Uh, you've never fought before and you get into any type of altercation, get the fuck out of there. 
<laughs> I, I know i know i know russ said something similar and he's 100 right you know what i mean like if you can't fight you need, you need to leave you know and um i am horrified at the amount of people that that can't fight that think they can and it, it's just crazy it's crazy to me man and I, I get it you know like uh i wrote a paper about it in college man um in our society, we don't have, we don't have a coming of age ritual. You know what I mean? We don't have anything that tells, tells young men when they're men, you know, is it when they can vote? Is it when they, you know, go to jail for, for something? Is it when they have a kid for the first time? Um, is it when they go to war? Native Americans, ancient Spartans, they all had rituals. You know what I mean? Some type of vision quest. They go out in the woods, they'd come, they were young men, they'd come back and they were warriors. Nobody else questioned that shit. And because we don't have that in America today, you, you have a lot of guys walking around with muscles, and tattoos and being tough. And they, they think that's what manhood is. They don't fucking have a clue. Mm. You know, that guy might yes. have a weapon. You know what I mean? Mm. He might, uh, they have something in the car. He might knock you down. There's a lot of people out there that have never been punched before in their life. Um, I saw this fucked up video today with like, it was like three dudes. One was younger and was like a professional fighter. Not a professional fighter, but you could tell trained MMA was confident, like great stance and like moving well. And then there was like these three, like it almost looked like out of a movie. These like Latin gangster types, you know, with like the cigarette and like the baggy pants. And then like, the MMA guy was like pushing one guy back and the other guy just kept backing up. You could tell he wanted nothing to do with him. And then the other guy was like, all right, you'll fight me. And he like takes his cigarette out and takes his shirt off, like acting all cool. The guy immediately kicks his legs out. So he falls down. Then he goes at him again. And the guy picks him up and double legs him. And the guy cracks his head right on the concrete. Oh, and so yeah. at first I was like, oh my God, that's so fucked up traumatic yeah. brain injury. But then somebody slowed the video down too, and they saw that guy that did get his head cracked open had a gun in his waistband. So it's almost like it's a good thing he did do that, maybe. Or I don't know, like maybe she just avoided it. Like you said, avoiding it is the best solution. But yeah, yeah, yeah. If you can't, if you can't, if you can't, then you know, just just fight back as hard as you can with or without training. And if somebody needed to train something, say somebody had like twenty days to train just for like basic self-defense, how would you split those 20 days up in the arts? Or would you just be like, yo, 20 days of jujitsu? Like what, what would yeah, you- Yeah, I would, I, would, I would probably just pick one thing um, and just have them do that. Martial, you know, fighting martial arts, any, any combat sport is, is um, it, it's just like any other, it's not, it's not like any other sport, but it kind of is in the sense that like, if I want to have a sick baseball swing or like a sick backhand at tennis, I got to hit that shit like what, 10,000, 20,000 times in, in practice. Fighting's the same thing. I know people are, you're bipedal and think, oh man, I could punch. I could punch hard. I know how to punch. You got to punch 20,000 times on something, you know, before you get that kind of punch down, you know? So I've always found people don't realize like, oh, I hit hard. I'm like, yeah, but can you hit the target yeah. at the right moment? <laughs> yeah. When it's moving and there's like things going on. And- yeah. Yeah, people are watching, sweating, chaos. You know, cardio is a big thing too. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, that's it's, it's huge, man. It's huge. Hopefully, I I still have some fighting opportunities coming up in the future. Um, I'm not done fighting. I'd still like to get to uh, Bellator. I, I like the UFC, but I don't like Dana White. <laughs> you know what I mean? So like, I kind of I kind of want to go with Bellator or one fighting championship would be would be a dream too. But and what do you need to do to get into bellator one like what is that process like for people that don't know the fight game like do you need a manager to like set something up like do you reach out like what are the logistics of that 
for me, like at this point in juncture, I just have to win fights. So there's, there's promotions big and small and you have to go to a regional show, which is here in the area. You win a couple fights in the regional show. You move up in the ranks, you win the belt in your weight class in the regional show, you move on to a bigger regional show. Then once you do the same thing, repeat the process, after you keep moving up the ladder in those shows, um, you, you might get the attention of some of the matchmakers from the big fish shows. What also helps is if you can sell tickets. So say Bellator comes to town and they need fighters for a local card and they've maybe heard of you, maybe not, but you're famous locally and you can sell 400 tickets because you have a lot of friends, family, whatever. Um, so they'll fuck with you. They'll sign you and you can be an undercard fighter. Where so, are you yeah. right now? Because it seems like you've had a lot of regional fights, right? They said yeah. like you've done good, yeah. you've lost. Right now, I like if, if if I had to equate it to anything, if, if we were, like say this was football, okay, I'm like a, a decent college player. I could, I'm still going to go pro. I probably won't get drafted super high. <laughs> you know what I mean? Somebody like me, just just giving it a go. And I, I'm not downplaying myself. I don't think I'm going to get to see like a world title. Um, in my career. I am very realistic. I know I'm going to win more than I lose. I know the guys that I lose to are going to hurt me really bad and I'm okay with that. So with that being said, I know that my body can only take so much damage in these particular losses. So I know I'm only going to be able to lose so many times before I can't do it anymore. In my last fight, I sold close to 200 tickets. I'm still an amateur um, as a fighter. I was planning to turn pro before COVID hit and then COVID hit. So I'm going to have at least two or three more amateur fights here locally in San Diego before I turn pro. And then, you know, go until the wheels fall off, see how far we can get. Nice. Are you, are you at all worried about your age or anything like that? Like, oh my God, I got to hurry up. Or do you feel like you've been taking care of your body? I mean, you've been doing this forever. Yes and no. Like I don't, I don't have the constant wear and tear I would have if I had been constantly grinding because I had taken breaks to, uh, go to school. I had taken you know, time off here and there to do different things. Like it sounds crazy, but the longevity of it kind of benefited me that I didn't really train super hard when I was at 10th planet. Cause I was, I was sad about being there all the time, being fucked over all the time. I don't have a lot of wear and tear on my body. Like I kind of noticed that. So, uh, no, it's weird, man. I don't, I don't think of myself as being old. You know what I mean? I know, I know DMX, God rest his soul, just passed away at 50. You know what I mean? And that's 12 years away. And I'm like, that's fucking young. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's young as fuck. What do you mean? He's 50. So I don't, I don't plan on fighting being super old. Um, I do have a window, but I don't want to tell anybody what that is because uh, I don't want to jinx it. So, but yeah, we'll see how far we can get. And uh, yeah, hopefully the age so will be a factor. I'm 36 and I'm not trying to be a professional fighter or anything, but I would love to maybe get a black belt by the time I'm like 45 or something like that. And yeah, that's hundred percent. That's hundred percent. Uh, and then like beat up little kids. Like, you know, like, yeah. like, like oh, yeah. so I get paid to do. <laughs> yeah exactly like, um, i love to teach little kids and then like beat up like the college kids when they're joining and then like be the old cool guy yeah i think that would be nice man 100 so i so there's a there's a really famous blackout here in san diego his name's carlos valenti and one time um I, I was hanging out with him at his house you know carlos is very loud and funny and has some funny stories and stuff but he was telling me he goes man he goes, he's got that thick brazilian accent Manny, you know hey uh you know uh you think you want to be fighting when you're 50 and i was like <laughs> No, you know, and it was funny because I didn't think about, again, I wasn't thinking about the future at the time. And that's when he kind of told me about children. He goes, oh, man, you should probably stick to kids. You know, you're really good teaching kids. He goes, that's going to be pretty lucrative for you down the road. And I didn't, I didn't know what he meant until my kids program took off. Uh, in the future, myself and my buddy, Wild Watson, 
are um, going to be uh, an affiliate of our, our old friend, Elias Gallegos. We're going to be one of his gyms in the future. We're going to hopefully open it beginning of next year. But we don't have a location yet. We don't have a name yet, but that's something we have coming down the pipe. Yeah, man, we're going to we're going to do it all over again. I'm pretty excited and, and we have a lot of backing and uh, I have a waiting list going. I have a couple people that already want to sign up to, uh, when we get a crack. And so it's uh, the future is looking pretty bright. That's exciting. It looks like you've gone through like that full uh, hero's journey, you know, like ups and downs mm. and then like all around. If you've never loved something enough that broke your heart for you to feel that way, mm. you, you're not passionate. That, especially with fighting. Fighting is difficult because the vulnerability is insane. You get up there pretty much naked in front of the whole world with another guy and you have to display your whole heart, whether you're a coward or not. And there's nobody up there to save you. It's hard. It's, and, and I remember I, I would tell my kids this, you know, before they, they would compete. And I would say, you know, you guys aren't scared of being hurt. You're not worried about getting injured or any of that stuff. You're worried about looking stupid in front of people you love. Mm-hmm. You're worried about letting down the people that you care about, the people that are here and they want you to do good. And that's what you're afraid of. You're, you're afraid of these expectations. As a fighter and a competitor, um, especially, again, somebody like me that wasn't a consummate winner until later on in life, you have to get your heart broken a lot. You know, if you're not, a, if you're not a winner, like out the gate, you got to get your heart broken a lot before you get to a point where you, you start winning, you know, and eventually you do. That's an amazing journey. Yeah, it definitely is. This is a question we ask on the podcast all the time, but if you could fight anyone in any era, who would you fight and why? It, it definitely have to be Muhammad Ali. Hmm. He's, uh, he's my biggest uh, sporting hero. And I know for sure he'd beat my ass. Would, would you want it like an MMA match? No, 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 no. I would, I'd actually box him. Ooh, um, okay. I would box him. I would go for it. Um, you know, I, a lot of people don't know that uh, Ali actually had an MMA match. Yes. Um, <laughs> he did. He, uh, he fought a Japanese guy named Antonio Inoki. Mm-hmm. And uh, Inoki actually fucked him up with leg kicks. He kept laying on his back and like kind of crab kicking him and sent, he sent Ali to the hospital. Ali had blood clots in his legs from the fight. Mm-hmm. Oh, I but, didn't know uh, that nugget. Yep. But yeah, definitely, uh, definitely, I would definitely fight Ali. I think that'd be dope. And if yeah, it wasn't an MMA match, you believe you'd win though, right? Fuck no. <laughs> really? You still don't think you'd win? Man, that guy, that guy's hips, bro. I, I, you probably get a buy lock on him. He would just, he would just probably shove me off or something, man. That guy's, he was fast. You know, he was rangy. I've seen high level, like professional boxers, like not fight MMA guys in the gym, but spar them, give them work and stuff. And even some of the best takedown people I've seen had problems taking down good boxers. Like boxers, the real strong, good boxers have really good hips. Mm. Interesting. I like you know, that. Like, uh, but yeah, so, so like, I don't, I don't like, honestly, my favorite, if we had to call it a martial art, my favorite combat sport is boxing. And I picked, I picked jujitsu in the beginning because everything, again, I, everything I had read, it had the hardest learning curve. That's what everything I had, jujitsu was fucking hard, you know, you just mm-hmm. got this, whatever. So again, I wasn't athletic. I wasn't incredibly smart uh, kinetically with my body. So I figured let me get started on jujitsu, man. You know what I mean? Cause if, uh, to, let me add to that question then, but say right now you could legit maybe fight somebody in Bellator or UFC. Like, is there somebody you think you'd match up well with and you'd be like, Hey, I want to test myself. Like say you got in, like who would be like a fun fight for you? And are, are would you be fighting in the welterweight or middleweight? Like no, where are you gonna right now, now I, I I could fluctuate between uh, 170 and 155. Um, I, I do want to do a few more amateurs this year before I turn pro, probably at, at, at 170, and then maybe do like the last one at 55. Um, I want to turn pro at 55. Uh, but yeah, if I if I had to fight 
somebody in those weight classes, I, I'd fight Conor McGregor. You know, I'm not gonna say Con- I'd be Conor McGregor because Conor McGregor be my ass. <laughs> you know what I mean? You know, there's <laughs> levels. There's levels to this. I'm not. I'm not gonna spitball and be like, "Yo, man, I can take that guy." No, nah, probably not. But, uh, <laughs> but I, I would like to fight that guy. He's the money right now, man. Um, mm. A lot of people, again, you you go into MMA, you think you're gonna make money. You're not okay. Uh, UFC fighters make eighty thousand, hundred thousand dollars a year. They have to give half that taxes. Then they have to get some of it to their managers, some of it to their trainers. So honestly, a lot of those guys are making forty k for fighting three times a year. So yeah, that's not a whole lot of money. But I think if I fought McGregor, it'd be it'd be a good payday. That's why those guys go after that guy. Mm. Yeah, of course. So, and that's why they're going after Jake Paul now, and that's why they're just going after. Oh, hundred percent, hundred percent. Anybody that can give them money. That's what it all comes down to. All right. Segwaying off of that, because one of the reasons we kind of started this podcast was to illuminate, uh, you know, different fighters. But definitely like one of the big things is that, you know, they're not really getting paid what I think maybe mainstream people think they're getting paid. And that's kind of one of our causes. So to segue off of that, if you can fight for a cause, what cause would you fight for? I think the biggest cause out there right now to me uh, would be uh, uh, human trafficking, child trafficking, Mm. Um, anything to do with children. I wanted to fight, you know, like I said before, like I had really bad anxiety and I wasn't athletic and everything, but I wanted to fight and I wanted to get into it to show kids that you could do it. You know what I mean? You could get in there and you could be whatever you wanted to be. You didn't have to be um, afraid, but uh, charity, charity wise. Yeah. Anything anything to do with kids, anything to do with kids. Nice. That's a great answer. All right. Through all this, how would you like people to remember you? I don't know, man. If they do cool. (laughs) (laughs) If they don't, that's cool too. You know, like I don't have, I don't have this desire to feel like I want to have any impression on anybody. You know, I, I, okay. I, uh, I kind of live my life the way I live it. And if, if people see that and they, they think that's fucking dope, you know, I'm, I'm honored. They think that, you know, um, people do write me from time to time and they tell me, Hey man, you know, I'm really inspired that you get up at 4am and you work out and you, you run and you do this and you're eating right and all this other stuff. And um, I'm one of those guys. I was getting back into running Uh um but uh once I got the ball rolling I I knew I could be more than what I used to be it got me really curious again and actually another another thing that came into it was a you know David Goggins Mm -hmm. yeah yeah I started listening to that guy man that motherfucker was like just lighting a fire up under my ass bro I'd be running out there and he'd be yelling in my ear and shit I'm like oh I'm a fucking pussy bro fucking David Goggins (laughs) but no I don't I don't to be remembered you know like I'm, I was I was born into obscurity, and uh, if I if I check out of the world in the same way, I, I wouldn't mind. All I want to do with my time is uh, just teach people, man. I want to share what I know and and run my school and and give back to my community, raise some amazing kids. You know, I don't have any kids of my own yet, so uh, hopefully uh, be remembered by you know some some children that I get to help. You're on that path. That that that's exciting, man, for sure. All right, uh, so we're going to do a segment called Keep It or Kill It, where we basically just kind of spitball some type of topic, something, and you tell us you want to keep it if you like it, if you believe in it, whatever that you want to look at it, or kill it if you think it's ridiculous. Okay. So keep it or kill it, leg locks. I'll keep it, keep it, (laughs) keep it. I know people are like, oh man, like you need to learn leg locks at a later belt level. I would say so. You know what I mean? Um, but I, I taught leg locks to kids for many years. And there's a guy named Russ Murrah who owns a very nice gym in Orange County named Subfighter. And he runs a 
tournament for adults and kids that is one of the few tournaments in the world that allows leg locks for kids. Oh. And so I used to teach leg locks to children and we go up to his tournament and my kids would debar everybody. Uh, you know what I mean? So yeah. um, that. it was cool, man. Scary um, kids. And uh, yeah. yeah, they'd go and they debar. You could debar and you could straight ankle lock in his tournaments. So they'd go in there and they debar everybody. But I think it depends on the instructor teaching the leg lock. If they teach mm. it shitty, they teach it, they don't teach any with uh, control. And yeah, people are going to get hurt, man, you know? But I, I've taught it to kids for years and I never had one kid pop their leg or get their leg hurt or none of that stuff. So keep it, keep that shit. Yeah. All right. So uh, keep it or kill it. Belts in Nogi. Oh, keep it. Okay. Keep it. I know, again, there's there's a whole thing out there. Oh, there's no belts in Nogi. Nogi's mm. not real jujitsu this and that and the other and, and no I, I disagree you know uh i i had my differences with with people from from 10 psd but i will say that the system of organization that that 10th planet has for jiu-jitsu is amazing and what's lacking in a lot of our traditional jiu-jitsu schools these days is a set curriculum that teaches people i've been to a lot of schools where, where people the instructor kind of makes up something for the day there's no theme mm-hmm. there's no way it kind of goes you know what i mean you just kind of like pull up we're gonna do this choke and now we're gonna do this pass and now we're gonna do this, this foot lock you know there's nothing nothing's congruent i think belts and no gear are, are a thing keep it okay keep it or kill it wrist My lock bad. kill it i hate fucking i hate fucking wrist locks bro <laughs> um i hate them. i love it. I, I i won't i won't name names because russ already named names but there's one guy that that does wrist locks here in san diego all the time and the last time i rolled him he fucking snapped the shit out of my wrist I'm like, come on, man. Oh. Like, I yeah. love wrist locks. I think they're hilarious. I don't know why. I think they're just like the equivalent to uh, almost like a, the Stockton slap, like slapping someone in an MMA fight. I think that's <laughs> kind of like the equivalent. I love it. <laughs> I get so annoyed, man. Like, like come on, bro. Uh, all right. That's fun. Um, all right. Keep it or kill it. Gauntlet promotions. Um, keep it. I get, man, shit, that one's hard, man. Okay, so I, I'm not against them <laughs> by any means. I, I don't, I, you know, they don't freak me out or nothing, but there's different, obviously, there's different curriculum standards and stuff like that and different ways they promote people and stuff. Yeah, I, I guess, I guess keep it, man. Like, shit, like, I don't know. I wish there was a cooler way <laughs> you get your belt. You don't have to go through some crazy shit, like getting your ass beat for now. But I get, I get to keep it, I guess. Yeah, keep, keep it. All right, all right. Drug testing. Uh, in what sport? I'll just say all martial arts. So you can look at it as wrestling, boxing, MMA. If you want to like delineate um, each one, that's fine too. Like where you might draw the line, like, oh, it's okay here, but not there. But I'll, I'll just leave it to combat sports. Kill it. And I say that because you want to know who the best and the toughest guy in the world is naturally. Um, okay. So, so don't kill drug testing. Kill. Oh, kill drugs. I'm drug. sorry. My bad. Shit. No, uh, drug testing. Okay. Uh, no, keep it. Keep it. Okay. Yeah, keep okay. it. I'm sorry. There. Yeah. Okay. All right. Keep it or kill it. Day before weigh-ins. Uh, keep it. Keep it. Okay. Um, I've done both. I've done day before weigh-ins and I've done same day weigh-ins for MMA fights. Mm-hmm. Um, and same day weigh-ins absolutely blow. Um, I one time I fought at the Del Mar Fair. I weighed in at like 8 a.m. or 9 a.m. and I had to fight at like two. Okay. Um. So the so yeah. So uh, day before weigh-ins, keep it for sure. Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, keep it or kill it. Combat jujitsu. Uh, kill it. Okay. Kill it. Uh, I, I get the premise behind it, but I mean, you might as well do pancreation. Um, the the the, the EBIs and the combat jujitsu were, were dope, but 
I, they were they were created to to make the Tenth Planet guys like win. Um, and then of course other styles infiltrated it and got good at it, like the DDS guys and, and all the other stuff and everything. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I'm not into it. I'm not into okay. it. All right, keep it or kill it, quintet. Uh, keep it. I, I actually really enjoy um, watching it. Me too, man. I love it. <laughs> I like that team, the team, the team battle stuff. Pretty cool. Mm-hmm. I watched a couple of them where like they had one dude eliminate like, everybody. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? There was like one where, where I think Gordon Ryan was in one of them. He just like beat everybody yes. on the whole of the team. Yeah, so, it's, a, it's almost I, like I, a throwback to the old days. Yeah, yeah. I love that, man. And I don't care anybody says it. I love Gordon Ryan. Uh, keep it or kill it schools with their own dress code. Mm. Uh, keep it. I think that it depends on the school. I, I would say keep it. Yeah, it just depends on the school, you know. Um, I, 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 it looks really good when everyone's got the same uniform on, and, and you know, no one's wearing like different pajamas. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. Um, uh, for gi, that's one thing. For no gi, it's a little different. If wearing what you want is very important to you, then you can find a school that'll suit you too. Keep it. Tell us about where people can find you, social media, and of course, um, how people might want to reach you when you are opening your spot. Tell us how people can find you. Uh, you can find me on Instagram. Uh, my name on Instagram is the Catalyst 619 um, You can just find me on Facebook, Manny Garcia in San Diego. And um, you contact me anytime. Right now, I'm currently doing private lessons. I do mobile and in-home fitness. So if you're looking to get in shape, you want your kids to get in shape, um, you want to start working out with me um, before... Uh, we open our spot. You're welcome to. Um, we plan it the beginning of next year. We, we have an idea of the location already, but we don't want to drop anything yet and, and kind of ruin anything. But if you're looking to sign up, you know, before then you can, but just hit me up anytime. Yeah, I'm really excited. Myself and, and Wild Watson, um, he's a uh, black belt under Carlos <laughs> Valenti. And, you know, we're, we're really excited to get things going. And it's a blessing, man. You know, it's going to change our lives. We're really excited to bring something to the community that uh, is going to help a lot of people. I really hope uh, some of our listeners take advantage of that and put their kids in this. And hopefully they themselves also do it because I can't think of anything that's more father-son bonding, you know, like I'm like doing that together. And so uh, maybe that could be other people's ways in, you know, first they let their kids do it and then they want to support their kids. So then their kid is inevitably going to be like, here, let me try some moves on you, you know, and hopefully it could lead to something good. So hopefully our listeners take you, uh, take you up on that and reach out to you. And when it is time to open, we'll definitely be uh, plugging that gym for you and stuff for sure. Man, I appreciate you guys. I, I want to give one more shout out to uh, my buddy, Andy Murad over at Switch, but it's Chris Bruno over at Switch. Of course, my mentor, my homie, Wild Watson, Lisa Gallegos, uh, my boxing coach, Berlin Kearney over at Boxer Bomber Squad. You guys, of course, man, I appreciate everything you guys have done. And uh, I had a good time tonight, man. Thank you for, for everything. Oh, for sure. For sure. I know we're training now semi-regularly and stuff, which is kind of nice, but uh, Anoop will actually be in town at the end of May. Hopefully we can get uh, you guys to roll and really meet too. That'd be kind of cool. Yeah, man. It's awesome. Yeah, that'd be fun. That'd be fun. Down. Yeah. All right, All right brother. Thanks again for joining us, man. Yes. Appreciate you guys, man. Awesome you guys to have go. you. You've got some great experiences. You've got a great head and you've definitely motivated me to run again. We're rocking, dude. <laughs> man, all right, bro. Well, I'll see you uh, not this Saturday, but next Saturday, man. All right, sure thing, man. All right, bro. Take care. It's nice Later. to meet you, dude. Nice to meet you too, man. Peace.
Thanks for listening to the Philosophy of Fighting podcast. If you have any questions, suggestions, or if you would like to fight us, send us a DM on Instagram at philosophy underscore fighting.